Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 216, and I am one of your hosts, Ari Mizell. And I'm your other host, Nick Sonnenberg. Welcome back. Nick and I are recording right now from my basement of my house in the Hamptons because it's quiet and a little bit hot, actually. But it's quiet, most importantly. <laughs> we have a bunch of links to share today, but first of all, the interview today is with Dr. Daniel Amen. And Dr. Amen has scanned, I think, more brains than almost anybody else, or probably anybody else. He's very big on the SPECT technology of scanning the brain. And he wrote the book Seven Types of ADD and Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And he really has changed the lives of many, many people by looking at the way that their brains have responded to trauma and to emotional injury and all sorts of things and has treated thousands of people with really, really amazing results. So it was a great conversation. The other thing is that, and I mentioned this on the interview, I saw one of the health reports or one of the finding reports that he did for a client of mine, and it was the most thorough medical review I've ever seen, bar none. It was really impressive. So Dr. Amen is just great, and you'll love the interview. I read like half of his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, and I signed up for the brain scan in December, but then I just, for scheduling conflicts, because it's a big commitment to do it this. It is a big commitment. It's like you have to schedule out, like you have to go in, like it's really thorough, like three days, like you do an assessment, and then you do a scan, and then you do like a post-scan follow-up i mean it's like it's like 10 hours it's like a 10-hour thing i think if you want yeah well because for one thing is that you know they have to scan you with no stimulus and then they're also scanning you with stimulus so they're seeing the difference in the blood flow so yeah it is quite involved it's not invasive at all so no one don't worry about that but it definitely is a, a, it's a big commitment yeah i'm definitely going to do it in the next six months i think i have to with all my uh <laughs> mem- I, memory issues yeah i mean i'm really interested i mean he covers things like you know people who had a concussion when they were 15 and how that somehow affects it but then just chemical imbalances or whatever we can characterize as ADD and and the seven types of ADD is a really interesting book too just because anybody who every entrepreneur thinks they have ADD it seems like a very common thing for adults to say that they think they have ADD and I'm not I'm not downplaying it but there are different types of ADD and the same medicine can be very helpful for one type and very deleterious to another so uh, just really fascinating stuff yeah i took Adderall for a long time and uh, well for a year and it really wasn't good for me at all and it was really hard to really hard to kick yeah but then i've tried all these um nootropics nootropics that you love and does nothing for me so it really is case by case nootropics are one of the ones where so many different people have different reactions it's really yeah it's the time i mean it's so specific to the user so anyway the first link that i want to share is called tab snooze so if you look at nick's computer screen there's (laughs) usually no less than 30 tabs open and he has been, what's the app you've been using for a long time? About suspend, it's Tab Suspender? Tab Suspender, yeah. Which is a good idea. Um, so what it does is it makes it so that the tab is not using memory, but it's still taking up r- screen real estate. And in that way, I believe it's still taking up mind real estate. So Tab Snooze works very much like followup.cc. You click a button and you can snooze the tab until later today, this weekend, next week, next month, a specific time or whatever, and it goes away mm-hmm. and then comes back at that time. I played around with it. I mean, the problem for me is I don't necessarily know when I want to see again some of these tabs, but I haven't played around with it and it's cool. I, for me, the problem with the tabs is for Calvin, like I have so many different services that we're using to monitor analytics, like Fabric and Mixpanel. And then what's Fabric? Uh, 
Fabric is uh, it's owned by Twitter, and it's it's um, it's like a package of different software. So you have Crashlytics within Fabric to monitor oh, crashes yeah, okay. and, and analytics, but then also you have like Twitter Digits and and uh, MoPub and some some other tools within Fabric. But yeah, it's it is something that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> well, so and the thing, and I I mean I agree. Like for me, if I see a website that I think is interesting, what I will do is I will tweet it with the hashtag LD show notes. And then that basically with IFTTT goes into my uh, Evernote. It goes to a daily digest that I get from IFTTT and all sorts of things. So then I can follow up with it later when I want to and most likely talk about it here on the podcast. So yeah, I, I, I tried another one called Spaces. Have you ever tried Spaces? That's for the Mac that makes the different yeah, workspaces. Can, yeah, workspaces with the tabs. So you can have a, ta- a workspace for less doing a workspace for Calvin a workspace for social media yeah but yeah right which is good I guess but I mean if you look at me for example you know I'm basically doing everything browser based I have two slack teams open Evernote Trello Gmail Facebook basically yeah that's pretty much it and those are always open so yeah, to each his own I guess but in my case that makes it so I'm very fluid and very yeah crash proof like the, the re-logging in on websites just can be annoying yeah but, but one password is really good, and that, that's not really much of an excuse because yeah, right. there's even a shortcut. You can just do control uh, backshift, and it just auto populates the login with with one password. So there yeah. really isn't a good excuse to have a million tabs open. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, tabs news. That was called tabs news. So uh, the next thing is called get C note, and I, I'm really for some reason I'm just really fascinated with e ink. Which is these displays that are they're black and white? They look the uh, the Kindle Paperwhite uses it for example. It's very easy to read e-ink in uh, direct sunlight. They use very little amount of power and are very thin. So we talked about one last week where it was on the back of the phone case. This one is basically the Post-it Note upgraded. Um, so it's like a white square that looks like a Post-it Note, but it can show you real-time information and it can actually take action so it can show you the real time and the weather outside it can tell you to take an umbrella if it's raining and you can click on the umbrella and it'll go away you can do a quick order of pizza for example with a one button push you can do controlling things in your smart home you can also see the latest text that you've gotten or the latest tweet or the latest email whatever it might be so the reason i like this it's it's very small it's a 100 bucks you can put it on your door you can put it on your fridge is for people who don't necessarily love technology or not big embracer of technology, whether you have a grandparent or just a spouse or doesn't really like technology, I think this is an interesting way or a cool way to sort of bridge the gap. And I, I, it's, it's very nicely designed. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, I saw like a, a phone lately that had a similar concept. I've, there was a, there was a, yeah. uh, a case, yeah, yeah, and they were saying how you'd never be able to ignore your phone. Yeah, and it was like <laughs> just really stripped down, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so S- similar. E-Ink is, uh, is really cool. Okay, so the next one is called Umo, and this, I really like this concept. So it is an app, and it's a public speaking coach, basically. So you speak, and the app records it, and it will tell you, first of all, how long it was, how many words you used, and whatever, but it will identify ums and us, weak pace, work power, and clarity, and more. So it will actually show like how well you're enunciating if you're using the word like a lot and ums and us it's really good and it's the kind of thing where you can track it very well i think that anybody who's trying to improve their speech 
the ums and the uhs are a really big one, I have to say. And for me, what I do when I'm giving a talk, if I have, I've trained myself now, but when I want to, if when I would have previously said uh or um, now I basically just pause. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So it's not because I'm like trying to think of the words. I'm like, uh, um, I just try to pause. But, this is great. I really, I mean, this is a really good tool. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna download. And actually, well, not to get off topic, but we've just relaunched the Less Doing website, and our friend Haley helped us with that. And Haley, if you're listening, you might want to download this app. <laughs> 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 but I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm gonna download it and give it a try too. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, Nick is probably gonna be doing more and more public speaking as this goes along. So, but it, oh, this is great. It'll get basically kind of like I mean, my, you know, right? Is, I think I say like a lot, but my my main problem is I speak slow because I'm so I want to say every word exactly perfectly that I'll either come off as being like slow or like a weird pace. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what my pace is when I speak. Well, yeah, you're right. So for pace too, and I know that I'm a fast talker too. That's something I've always known. But it's the kind of thing where a little bit of awareness really goes a long way. So check out Ummo, U M M O. So the next one is an article from Harvard Business Research, and I just really like this. I, I'm a big fan of co-working spaces. Nick and I both are. We we kind of, we're kind of, we work in a different place every time we're together, pretty much, and. There was just a cool article about a co-working, well, not technically a co-working space, but basically in 15th century Italy, there's a workshop that was laid out with an open, or I guess it was common for the workshops, the bottegas, to be laid out with an open plan workspace, very similar to the way that like a WeWorker or any of them might be nowadays. And I just thought it was really cool. So we have a link to that article in the... the did, uh, did they have the, the keg and the uh, unlimited coffee? Yes, exactly. <laughs> And stickers, lots yeah. and lots of stickers. <laughs> so those are my links for today. Nick has a couple he wants to share with everybody. Right. So as I mentioned before, we've relaunched the Less Doing website. I mean, we're still tweaking it, but you can go to lessdoing.com and see what we're up to. So one new thing that you'll notice is if you go to the assistance page or the business page or the contact us, you'll see a, a how can we help you customer service box. That is powered by smooch.io. And it t literally took us five minutes to implement, and it's awesome. The design is really nice. You can set these things called whispers, so you can set like a few automated things. So like if uh, someone writes to you, you could have an automated message saying, thank you for writing, we'll be back to you shortly. You can have office hours, so if someone writes to you outside of the office hours, it's a different automated message saying, hey, we'll get back to you tomorrow. You can customize the look and feel of it. And it has an integration with Front App, which is the next new tool that we're using I wanted to discuss. So Front App, basically, it runs like how email runs, like how you would think a collaborative email account would run. But you can connect various services, not just email. So Front App is like an aggregator. You could aggregate your email, a phone number, a Facebook account, a Twitter account, a Smooch account. And you can link it all to Front App, and then any message that comes in from any of these various services all comes into this inbox in Front App, and then you can assign it to people. 
You can archive things, snooze things, really treat it like email. When you reply to something in front app, it goes back to its original source. So if someone texts you a question, you can reply back from the same dashboard you would reply back from an email question, and you don't know the difference, but a text message will go and send them back a text, or an email will send them back an email. So apart from using it for customer support purposes, there's a whole other use case that we're exploring now. Like As you know, for the virtual assistant side of things, we're basically our back end is being powered by Trello. But had we have known about this at the beginning, like it could have been a consideration to have powered the back end by front app and have people post tasks. I mean, we're even still considering now as a service to offer uh, to give our clients for the virtual assistant the phone number, the, the new Twilio number that we created and let them text in tasks, and then us manually, they have an integration with Trello, so we just manually click a button, add card to board, and that basically gives people the ability to text tasks in, not just have to create tasks in Trello. But also there's a huge use case if you're an executive assistant for a really busy person, and that busy person is emailing you, texting you, phone calling. Basically, you could just be looking at front app to manage it so you don't get, get lost in the clutter of all the tasks being assigned. Well, I mean, one of, one of the things that people have to realize is that changing behavior for a lot of people is really, really hard, especially when it comes to means of communication, modes of communication. So if you want somebody to be putting tasks into Trello, it, I mean, and we've had this experience well over 100 times now, where usually we can train somebody and show them the benefits and show them how easy it is and get them using the app or whatever. But we certainly have people who still want to email in tasks and they, they feel more comfortable, which you can do with Trello. But you're definitely going to have those people who are like, I hate email, I hate calls, I just want to be texting. And this kind of a tool allows you to work with more people without causing them to change their behavior or acquiring it, which is in itself is great. Yeah, definitely. And then lastly, for any of you who have used Trello and Liquid Planner, we would love to get your thoughts on the two. We're playing around with Liquid Planner and we have our own thoughts. We don't, I don't want to create any biases here. <laughs> so yeah, please write to nick at lessdoing.com your thoughts on Trello and or Liquid Planner. And also please check out our new website, lessdoing.com and also send your feedback on that. And also, if anybody does use Liquid Planner or Trello and they really like it, and you can take a few minutes to do an actual screen recording for us of how you use it and why you like it, and you send that to Nick, we will send you an autographed copy of the Less Doing More Living book as a thank you. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Next week is episode 217, where you'll hear the first interview that Nick and I did together, and we will continue doing those together from here on out. And it's with General Jeffrey Smith, recently retired general running Fort Bragg in South Carolina or North Carolina? North, North, North Carolina. Carolina, two-star general. Two-star general. It was a great interview. He's a very humble man for all of that he's achieved, and it was, it was awesome. So thank you, everybody. Check out the new website. Let us know what you think, and have a great week. So now I'm speaking with Dr. Daniel Amen of the Amen Clinics and of the book Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, uh, among many others. Uh, it's a real honor to speak to you today. So thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Harry. What a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, believe me, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, so I know your story and people who've read the book will know some of your story. But how did you initially get interested in this particular aspect of brain science, basically? Well, the short story is I was an infantry medic uh, 
at the end of Vietnam and just fell in love with medicine. But I hated the idea of sleeping in the mud or being shot at. <laughs> so I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician and just developed a passion for imaging. And then when I was in medical school, someone I loved tried to kill herself and I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and I came to realize if he helped her, which he did and wouldn't just help her, it would end up helping her children and even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable. So I just fell in love with psychiatry because I realized it had the potential to change generations of people. But it's the only medical specialty that actually never looks at the organ it treats. And based on my imaging work, I'm like, well, we should look at the brain of our patients. And about 25 years ago, I got the opportunity to start using a study called brain spec imaging. Spec looks at blood flow and activity, looks at how your brain works. And it literally changed everything in my life, how I think about myself, uh, the people I treat, the people I love, because uh, it's your brain that controls everything you do. And when it works right, you work right. And when it doesn't, there's trouble in your life. So over the last 25 years, we've built the world's largest database of brain scans related to behavior. We have a database of 120,000 scans on people from 111 countries. And the point behind Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, which is really my foundational book is that you are not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better or worse, and I can prove it. And it's just the most uplifting, exciting message that it, even if you've been bad to your brain. So Amen Clinics did the world's first and largest study on active and retired NFL players. So yeah. even if you've been bad to your brain, and everybody sort of gets it except the NFL of course, but well, they, they probably pitched. do get it, but they don't want to admit it. <laughs> well, you know, some of these players have been hit in the head 10,000 times. Yeah. And, but even if you've been bad to your brain, if you get on the right program, you can make it better. And if your brain is better, your focus is better, your energy is better, your mood and memory are better. And you make more money because your decisions are better and you're physically healthier because your decisions are better. And so I, I just, you know, fell in love with this whole idea that, you know, no matter where you start from, you can make your brain better if you are serious about loving it and caring for it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's an amazing promise. And it's also, I mean, I've seen, I personally seen the results in, in people who've been through your process and uh, it's, it's amazing. So uh, first of all, you know, kudos to you for, and thank you for, for the work that you've done. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I have so many questions. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's uh, so many questions. Like I'm almost not sure where to start, except that the, the one thing that I, I, I do want to ask you about is that uh, so you, the spec scan is obviously a really really great tool for you and in reading your book you know this it, it, a lot of uh, the case I mean well the majority of the cases you're like and so we we had a spec scan and we found out this information we did this and we had a spec scan and we did this and and the spec scan seems to come out as like the crux of a lot of the things but a client of mine a coaching client of mine went through your process and he was kind enough to share with me the report and. You, you guys do the most extensive, thorough, comprehensive medical history and report I have ever seen. 
So it's like you, you, I don't, I mean, I, you, you pull so much data. It seems like the spec scan is only just one small part of it. Well, it's, it's a big part, but it's only a part. When we think about people, if, if I try to understand you, I want to understand the biological parts of you. So that's how your brain works. But it's also what's your diet, your level of exercise. Have you had a head trauma? Do you have mold exposure? Have you had an infection like Lyme? But I also want to understand the psychological parts of you because you're more than your brain. And then I want to understand the social parts of you because one of the biggest predictors of longevity is the health of the people you hang out with. And I want to understand the spiritual parts of you. And I'm not kidding because your deepest sense of meaning and purpose and why you're on the planet, you know, contributes to your mental health or to mental illness. And so we look at people in biopsychosocial spiritual ways, and that's how we intervene with people. But without looking at your brain, I'm guessing, and the guessing unfortunately hurts people. So, you know, why did I do the big NFL study? You know, why is the psychiatrist really interested in traumatic brain injury? You know, I got so little training in it. It's because when I started looking at people's scans, I'm like, oh, when did you have a brain injury? And they had never told the six psychiatrists they seen before me that they went through a windshield of a car or that they fell out of a second-story window. And so their troubled behavior has been chalked up to you are a bad person rather than the organ that runs your personality was hurt. And it's that just difference in mindset and treatment protocol that revolutionized people's lives. Yeah, and 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 that's that's an important point. There is that, like you on the on your website, you know, some one of the things that you say that you treat is marital conflict, right? Which is that's a, a fairly general way of. I, I mean, I guess that's kind of a general way of saying that it helps you to not be such of a jerk to your spouse, right? But <laughs> but I mean, but I I mean, I mean, I'm making a joke, but I mean that sincerely. Like you're you're placing obviously a lot of importance on the health of the brain when you're saying that you can treat marital conflict. Right. And it's, uh, you know, so I was actually trained as a marital therapist and um, my first couple that I scanned, they were so awful. Uh, (laughs) um, I saw them every week for nine months and about three months into it, I knew I wasn't going to help them. And I just cringed when I saw them on my schedule. And one day I was getting ready, I was taking a shower, getting ready for work and realized they're on my schedule and my stomach started to hurt. And I went, all right, today I'm going to tell them to get divorced because the research is actually pretty clear. It's better for kids to come from a divorced family than one with chronic conflict. But having grown up Catholic, um, divorce (laughs) is obviously a bad thing and I like you know, heard the Catholic voice in my head goes, oh, great, because you're not a good therapist. They're going to get divorced and you're going to damn their eternal souls to hell. And so I'm like, I'm going to scan their brains. It was right after I started scanning brains. And it was so helpful. You know, when I got them on targeted treatment for their brain, and now it's 25 years later, they're still married. And they don't have to go see therapists all the time because they can be kinder to each other because their brains are right. And it's just amazing. I think 
and you know, I don't know, right or wrong, I think most people are like me and they sort of want to get along with other people. And when they're consistently troubled, you at least have to think about what's going on in their brain. Yeah, well, and absolutely. And so then the other thing that that reminds me of is is uh, brain infections. And there's so many, uh, I mean, well, there's, there's lots of parasites on Earth and, and infections that have been known to change the way you behave, right? They become like these, uh, they're, they're various, par- like, like toxoplasmosis, for example, is a parasitic illness that has been associated. They, they say that it causes no symptoms in adult humans, but at the same time, it's technically something that can take over the way that something acts and behaves, right? So you, there's like a zombie aspect to some of these things that you obviously can reverse, well, I mean, toxoplasmosis in particular, it's associated with suicide, it's associated with road rage, yeah. and if you never think about that, you can obviously put the person with road rage in jail and punish him, but but I'm just not sure that's the most thoughtful compassionate thing to do. And it's really not the best use of our money and our resources as a society. You know, I've scanned about 500 convicted felons, about 90 murderers, and they all have very different brains. And I'm just of the belief uh, that, you know, what if we really rehabilitated these people? Because when we send people to jail, we're not really rehabilitating them. We're punishing them. It's about vengeance. It's not about rehabilitation and and um, Dostoevsky once said you can tell about the soul of a society not by how it treats its outstanding citizens but by how it treats its criminals and I'm just a huge believer that we should be scanning and optimizing the brains of people who suffer so that they can pay taxes you know, I'm like, this is like the most conservative idea because, it's, you know, I live in Orange County, which is a very conservative part of California. And people go, oh, you're soft on crime. You're a liberal. And I'm like, this is the most conservative idea I can think of, which is investing in the health of our people so they can be effective. Yeah. Well, no, absolutely. Now, one thing that I, I that is going to be definitely relevant to a lot of people listening to this podcast because there's a lot of entrepreneurs uh, is ADD. <laughs> so you identified several different types of ADD. And where did that come about where you basically decided that it wasn't something entirely different. There were just different variations of ADD. So when I first started looking at scans, so I'm also a child psychiatrist, which means half the people I see have ADD. Right. You know, the kids I see. (laughs) And then, you know, I realized, you know, I had three of them at home. And obviously they didn't get it from me. They got it from their mother. Um, I'm not sure everybody actually agree with that. But um, when I started looking at the brains, I mean, literally thousands of people have ADD. I went, oh, it's not one thing. It's seven different things. If you give everybody Ritalin, you know, why is Ritalin controversial? For some kids or even adults, when you give them a stimulant, Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse, whatever, um, literally they go from D's and F's to A's and B's. I mean, it's just stunning. And other people who have exactly the same symptoms, if you give them 
Ritalin or Adderall. They want to kill somebody. Uh, they can't sleep. They become obsessive. They get angry. And it's like, well, why is it? And it's because all psychiatric illnesses, so it's not just ADD, but are not single or simple disorders in the brain. They all have multiple types. So it's sort of like saying, oh, everybody with chest pain, you should give them nitroglycerin, right. you know, to open up their blood vessels. It's like, well, that's stupid because, you know, chest pain could be grief. It could be a heart arrhythmia. It could be a heart attack. It could be uh, pancreatitis. It could be liver problems. I mean, you have to go find out why the person has chest pain. Like, you want to know why this person can focus. Uh, and so that one idea just radically changed how we treated our patients. Well, and, and how did you come across the, the, the and for people who, I, I hope people have read your books because they, they should, but uh, the, the Ring of Fire, ADD particularly, which, seemed, which sounded to me more like Tourette's or like something else, but how did you identify that as a subset of ADD? Well, I actually didn't want to see Ring of Fire. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to see it because it didn't fit my preconceived idea of yeah. what ADD is in the brain, which is low activity in the frontal lobes. And it's not low activity. It's excessive or too much activity everywhere. And it was 1997. And, and I had seen the pattern. I just didn't want to see it. So, you know, my brain blocked it out. So I'd been scanning people for six years. And then Joshua came into my clinic. He had um, been arrested. And part of his trial, I scanned him. And he'd been diagnosed with ADD by four different people. All the stimulants made him worse. And, um, oh, he's the one that he, he wouldn't stop drinking. And when I Every drank, he got into big trouble. And so I scanned him sober, and he had the ring of fire, which is excessive activity all over his brain. And then I got him drunk because he committed <laughs> his crime while he was intoxicated. And it was so interesting because – you know, when he drank, his brain just calmed down. The whole thing calmed down. Now, too much, which is, you know, why I did bad things, because the judgment, thoughtful center of his brain calmed down, too. But it's like, oh, he's medicating himself. And you've seen all these ring of fire brains, and you didn't want to see them. And so, you know, maybe I diagnosed them as bipolar disorder or something else. And But it's clearly a subtype of ADD. And you give him a stimulant. 80% of the time, you make them worse. And I published that in a study a number of years ago. Um, you know, everybody's ADD is different. You know, if you go to your pediatrician and, you know, they give you a little bit of a stimulant and it's a miracle, you don't need a scan. You know, the people who need to come to see us is they've tried this or that and it doesn't work and they need more information. And that's what the scans do for us. They give us more information. The real interesting question for me is, why did I keep doing it when my colleagues hated me? So I started <laughs> scanning the brain and I have this huge flaw. I'm a middle child. I'm a peacemaker. I don't like it when we fight. My older brother beat me up every day until I was seven. And I just, I don't like fighting with people. And, you know, when I started scanning people, I'm like, hey, look at me, you know, because that's what middle children do. And I'm like, oh, isn't it cool? Come join me. Let's all scan my patients. And my colleagues just hated me. You know, I was kind of 
psychiatrists don't do that. You shouldn't do that. And for years, I was just so upset and anxious about it because um, it's not in my nature to fight. And then at some point, and actually no one it was, uh, uh, my nine-year-old nephew had a cyst the size of a golf ball, and he attacked someone on the baseball field, and the cyst was going to kill him, and it was only through imaging I discovered it. And when they took it out and his behavior went back to normal, I went, okay, I'm ready to fight. <laughs> well, I, I, so obviously in that case there was a surgery involved, but in general, what is your treatment? I mean, I, I know there's no general, there's so specific in what you're doing, but what is, what is your sort of uh, methodology of treatment protocol usually look like? Um, you know, more and more over the years. So I've gone to natural treatments. Uh, so our process is pretty clear. We take these four-circle detailed histories, as you mentioned. So we get biological, psychological, social, spiritual information. We scan people. We generally do labs, too, because if your thyroid's off, you're not getting better. If your blood sugar's off, it puts you at great risk for uh, depression and dementia. So, um, so we do really thorough evaluations and then we treat you in those four circles you know we teach you to love your brain so it's a concept i created called brain envy freud was <laughs> wrong penis envy is not the cause of most of your problems it's people don't care enough about their brains and so um you know so we'll teach you and you know brain health is three things brain envy avoid bad do good and you brain and what helps your brain so we do education and then based on your brain, we will target treatment specifically to what you need. So if you'll have low activity in your frontal lobes, we're going to stimulate it. And it could be with a stimulant or it could be with a stimulating supplement like green tea or L-tyrosine or rhodiola. We know what your brain is and then we target treatment and we usually try to go with the least toxic, most effective, natural treatment first. But, you know, sometimes that's not appropriate. If you're hearing voices, we're probably not just going with fish oil. Uh, <laughs> we're going to give you medicine for that. Or if you really do have bipolar disorder, we're going to make sure we treat that because, you know, it's a potentially lethal disorder. Um, but we use all the tools in the toolbox. Sometimes, you know, with our NFL players, we do neurofeedback. We'd put them in a hyperbaric chamber. We'd use uh, a sophisticated supplement regimen. And for them, I just had, you know, one of my favorite uh, players, uh, um, I was at a Brendan Bouchard event, Brendan and I are buddies, and uh, one of the people that, not the bouncer, but the person who protected me at the event, because there are all these people, um, his former NFL player, and Brendan's like, oh, you should scan him. And so I did, three and a half months ago, and his brain looked awful, even though he's in his 30s. And three and a half months later, so just last week, we scanned him again. His brain was significantly better. And the only thing we did was supplements, because he already had good habits, uh, already worked out, and uh, it's just remarkable by you know, the right nutrition for your brain can just make a huge positive difference. Uh, I'm so excited for him. Yeah, I know. And it's amazing. I mean, and I can imagine, I mean, I can only imagine the the light you must see when, when you change these people's 
lives and change their brains. It's, it's got to be incredible for you every day. <laughs> and we we met at Joe's event at Joe Polisher's. Yes, we did. Event, and I showed his scan, so I have a number of his scans and the first one was not healthy and he lets me tell the story and he had a head injury when he was young and you know seven months later it's healthier and then five months later it's freaking normal <laughs> i was like so excited it's uh, you know and i'm excited for him because when your brain works right you work right and when it doesn't there's trouble in your life and you know part of the thing i love is it decreases judgment and it increases empathy uh, that you have for other people. Sure. No, of course. Uh, so now, how much of the work that you do with people is correcting uh, like a real deficiency versus optimizing like a, you know, a healthy or a good or healthy-ish brain? Um, you know, I actually wish more of it was on optimization, sure. but it seems like the people who find me, on average, if you come to our clinic, you have failed 3.3 providers, five medications, uh, and you tend to be more complicated. Uh, but, you know, the fun thing for me is I've had 10 national public television specials, and they've aired 80,000 times across the U.S. So I, I think there's a lot of people who are good and want to be better. Uh, and so our books and specials really help them. We're just going to start a brand new six-month free class called The Brain Warrior's Way. My wife and I, we have two books coming out this fall, and it's a movement that we're really trying to create called The Brain Warrior's Way because the fact is you are in a war for the health of your brain. Everything I have learned over the last 30 years as a psychiatrist, you're in a war for the health of your brain. Everywhere you go, someone's trying to shove bad food down your throat, put a toxic, thrust, stressful thought in your head, and give you a gadget that steals your attention. And you know, if you know, the human attention span is now eight seconds, where goldfish is nine seconds. This is bad. It's evolution going the wrong way. And all the bad things are increasing in our society from Alzheimer's disease, ADD, autism, depression. And the Brain Warrior's Way is really to help people be armed and prepared to win the most important fight of their life, which is the fight for their brains and bodies. So Tan and I have these two books coming out in November, but starting May 4th, we're going to do a free six-month class. If people are interested, it's Wednesdays at 5.30 Pacific time. They can tune in. They can either come in person or tune in live. They go to brainwarriorswaylive.com brain warriors with an s way live.com they can sign up and just learn all about what we do we're, we're just so excited because we want to create a movement and margaret mead said a few smart people banded together can change the world and, and i've seen that in um, a couple of things I've been involved with, like this thing called the Daniel Plan, where we planted this program in churches, and now thousands of churches around the world are doing this. People get better together or sick together. And what I would really love entrepreneurs to do is get really serious about their brain health 
and then plant it in their organizations. And we've seen companies like Franklin Covey do just that. And uh, But, you know, the first thing is you have to live the message because if you don't live the message, you're sort of suck as a messenger. So the last question I always like to ask on these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Well, I'm doing this fun program with the NBA that I'm actually doing a brain challenge with NBA referees. And I was at the Staples Center recently, and one of my favorite referees came up and said, hey, doc, what's the one thing I can do to help my brain? And uh, the one thing you can do, I told Mark, is improve the quality of your decisions. Because ultimately, your health is a sum of all the decisions that you ever make. And how do you improve the quality of your decisions? You love your brain, which means you think about it, you care for it, you have this thing called brain envy. The second thing you do is you never let yourself get hungry because low blood sugar levels drop blood flow to your frontal lobes, make more bad decisions, and then you focus on getting eight hours of sleep at night. Because if you do that, that turns on 700 health-promoting genes. It also gives you better blood flow to your brain, better decisions. Daniel, Dr. Amen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to have links in the show notes to your your live webcast, but also where's the best place for people to go to find out more about you and your work in general? So, amenclinics.com. So, amen, like the last word in a prayer. Imagine growing up with that last name. That was fun. <laughs> uh, amenclinics uh, with an S.com. They can learn all about our work and actually take a free brain health assessment. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. This has been really great talking to you. Thanks, Ari. What a pleasure.